We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Mets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me as always, Jack Manuel. And Jack, how are we doing? Nick, can we make this a quick one? I've got to go golfing with Cam Johnson. <laughs> yeah, he's out in Australia. Jack's checking on him. But uh, before we get into net stuff, quick congratulations to Jack, who is now engaged. But we're going to jump into some Nets rumors. And as always, you can find the buzz on all streaming platforms. But Jack, where do we start? Nick, we will won't start with Damian Little, which is a, a, a shock departure from everyone. Let's start with some drafts up because I'm, I'm interested in this nitty-gritty here. And something did actually come out today that you put on your Twitter as well. And there were rumors around the Nets looking to move up in the draft package, those two picks, 21 and 22. And there are a couple of teams that Jake Fisher reported that could be looking to trade down. Give me some information on that, Mr. Faye. Yeah, I think the Nets are an interesting spot. You know, uh, he mentioned the Mavericks, the Thunder, and the Lakers. Mavericks are at number 10, Thunder at 12, Lakers at 17. The Nets obviously hold pick 21 and 22. Um, there's an array of different combinations you can throw in there. You know, they could potentially use Cam Thomas. They could potentially use Royce O'Neal, Dorian Finney-Smith. Uh, a future pick, they can combine both picks. I think also a lot of it depends on how the board falls. I don't expect the Nets to necessarily make a trade to move up in the draft until draft night, if that's kind of what they're alluding to do. So it, it's an interesting situation because I think there's a good argument to trade up, but there's also a good argument to stay at 21 and 22 and take two swings in a draft that's considered to be deep. Yeah, I think with... From what I've heard, listening to a bit more draft stuff, just obviously listening to you and Joe McCarr do a great job on the pod that you did, but just in general about the pod, apparently the talent sort of gap from like pick 10, 11 down from like so 12, that sort of late lottery is where it sort of tapers off a little bit. So what is the difference between, say, let's say the high end of pick 12 with the OKC Thunder, pick 17 with the Los Angeles Lakers compared to 21 and 22, where... As I've said, I think I said to Justin last week, I think Sean Marks is pretty comfortable at that sort of range because it's almost like there's a little bit of less pressure. It's a sort of free swing to, to an extent. You know, Karis LeVert, Nick Claxton, you know, start of the second round. These sort of guys, Jared Allen, he's done very good work around those sort of picks. And the names that have been put out there, some people are happy about, some people aren't. You know, Lennon Miller, these sort of guys. Uh, but in saying that, what would, would you... Like package it, would you stay pat? What would you do if you're, you know, in Sean Marks's seat? You know, what is if what is available? Because I think the Thunder have too many picks that they know what to do with. I don't know if they're going to want to get more picks, but maybe they get more picks to 
trade out into the future or something like that. The Lakers seem like a more likely proposition just looking at it from a, an objective, maybe a subjective standpoint because they can they, they draft they have drafted pretty well and adding a couple of guys to their rotation would probably be more value to them you know, deep in their rotation, you know, alongside Anthony Davis and LeBron James. But where do you think Sean Marks will go come draft night with with these two picks? Does he trade up? Does he stay pat? What would you do? Yeah, I think a lot of it, too, depends on what happens with Damian Lillard, you know, what happens with other trades. Um, are those, you know, two picks involved in potentially trading for a star? And also, you know, do the Nets move off of Royce O'Neal and potentially add a third first-round pick? You know, and then you feel a lot more comfortable, you know, trading 21 and 22 to move up because you might land, you know, let's say 29 from the Indiana Pacers, and now all of a sudden you're feeling pretty good or Dorian Finney-Smith gets you a pick into you know, maybe the late lottery or potentially, you know, package one of these players. So I think uh, right now um, I would probably stick with the two picks because like you mentioned, you know, Leonard Miller's a guy that we, Joe and I have talked about. I really like him. I think he has a lot of upside. I think you could swing at two upside guys at 21 and 22 and hope one of them hits, you know, and like you said, you're not necessarily in a pressure situation where you need to nail those picks. And if you're not landing Damian Lillard, something I put out today on Twitter was, you know, the in-between, we kind of know they're not going to jump into a rebuild. It's pretty apparent. So it's either kind of star hunt or slightly run it back. And I think if you slightly run it back, you're looking to improve your asset pool. And the best way to do that is potentially add more draft picks, add some rookies that could really pop off and become very valuable in a trade and grab some young upside guys, and which we'll talk about in a future podcast. So I think it really all depends on how things play out. And we might even have a better idea early next week, given how you know Bradley Beal might be traded. Some other teams might get active. So it really is up to Sean Marks to read the board and read you know the rest of the NBA and what's happening. And in a, an offseason, that's going to get crazy because of the new CBA going intact. You know, end of next season and teams looking to you know get under the luxury tax, adjust for the future, and less nasty contracts out there. So it's it's going to be very interesting over the course of not only the draft but how the rest of the offseason plays out. Yeah, and also Cam Johnson's free agency. How does yeah. that affect you know the likes of Dorian Finney-Smith, Royce O'Neal? So there's a, a lot of moving parts within Brooklyn and then externally as well that could affect how they sort of you know stand pat. But they have a couple of good assets, and and at the end yeah. of the day, you know that's just a, a good position to be in, and you know a, a semblance of leverage, if you will. Because look, I don't know and flexibility. how much and flexibility. Like I, I look, I don't know. I think the picks have more value in tan- tangibly than they do when they turn into players because look, Daron Sharp, Cam Thomas, Kessler Edwards, those sort of, th- when the Nets made those three picks, it was like, well, Cam Thomas has like high upside. So it, I just think that when teams get to choose their own guys with the picks available, whether it's in the future, whether it's in whatever, they, they just have more value to me. So if, if Sean Marks were to were, you know, whether it's Leonard Miller or Ray and Rupert or whoever the hell it might be, I think that they get slightly less value. It's like sort of like a used car. Like you know, as soon as you buy the the new car off a lot, it immediately loses a semblance of just some bit of value. So I think that's where it's going to be interesting to see. You know, 21 and 22. I, I, if the Nets are, Nets, they are. You know, they, they and they can. It seems to me with the assistant coaches that are being heralded into the organization that there is going to be an increased focus on player development, which I'm a big fan of. And and I think that that's, you know, having guys that can just teach guys the fundamentals of basketball and all the little nitty gritty X's and O's, you know, from all the guys that are sort of being hired behind the scenes. I think that's a good thing. And I think that might herald sort of, 
you know, we sort of read the tea leaves about the direction of the Damian Lillard stuff. Maybe that's also part of it as well. Like you, you can sort of cover bases and go, we've got guys here. We're still going to prioritize getting young guys. We're still going to prioritize trying to develop them in a way we can turn them into credible NBA players like we did with Spencer Dimity, Joe Harris back in the day, D'Angelo Russell, Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, Nick Claxton, these sort of guys. They've had great development. The G League has been a, a good system for them uh, as well at different points in time. And now... We'll see how it pans out, Nick, but um, I'm intrigued to see what does happen. And, you know, the the draft is rapidly approaching. Yeah, and I think touching on a couple points you mentioned, Jack, I think ultimately if you're confident resigning Cam Johnson, you're very confident in moving one of Royce O'Neal or Dorian Finney-Smith just because of the minute allocation. You know, you're going to be paying Cam Johnson a lot of money. He's going to be playing a lot of minutes at the three and the four. You already have Mikel Bridges playing a two and a three. If you're anticipating any type of production from Ben Simmons, he's going to spend a lot of time at the four. So I think, you know, understanding your roster and then getting to another point, I think it's going to be important for every NBA team to be able to nail draft picks and have young rookie contracts that can produce on the floor. And I think it's a minor gamble when you take the pick, because like you mentioned, they can lose value, but if they have a great rookie season, now they gain value. And if the Nets plan is not necessarily to be, you know, a contender this season, Maybe they're kind of, you know, developing a rookie throughout next season and then open to trading him in the 2024 offseason or even in the 24, 25, you know, trade deadline. So there there's a lot of different options. I think it's all about how everything plays out and what you think is best and how it can help you in the long run in building a contending team. Yeah, maybe seeing what the Heat and to, even the, the the Nuggets with Christian Brown, sort of those those guys that are sort of five to, to nine on the roster, how you develop them at whatever level, whether they are two-way guys, whether they are rookies, and getting them to credibly contribute to your rotation because of the nature of the new CBA that is coming in is going to be important. I think the Nets maybe do see that. And you know, it, a part of me is just like, man, Kessler Edwards would just provide a, a semblance of, of of stability and just, you know, with guys behind the scenes and Dorian Finney-Smith-Royston, you could probably trade both of those guys and be happy sort of going with Kessler going forward. Obviously, that depends if you're getting Damian Lillard, wouldn't be. But it's just uh, interesting how things are, are working out and, and moving forward uh, for the Nets. But we'll we'll get to actually DFS and Royce O'Neal. Nick, uh, because... One more note, Jack, just on the draft stuff. Sure. I think it's also, uh, if the Nets do trade for Damian Lillard, I think it's unlikely that they use 21 and 22 unless it was in a combination to trade up and send Portland a better pick. I think Portland already has picked 23. So adding 21, 22 and 23 would be just wouldn't really make sense for them. So that's just something food for thought. Yeah, it's uh, about the assets for them. So interesting covering all bases there when it comes to the draft. It's coming by really, really soon. I'm going to be looking forward to doing another pod with you in pertaining to that. But we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We got reaffirmed the rumors, Nick, around DFS and Royce O'Neal. Now, this has been around since late April. You know, yep. I know I think I've talked about it either with you or with someone and on a pod. Mark Scotto initially reported that. Now we're getting this again from the ringer that multiple reports have said that Cam Johnson is expected to return. Love to hear that. League sources say Brooklyn has received a number of calls for two veteran rings in Royce O'Neal and Dorian Finney-Smith. Now, it was uh, a big talking point that I didn't expect to get garner the traction in, in my mentions and replies when I said, who would you rather keep, Dorian Finney-Smith and Royce O'Neal? But I think we've sort of had many discussions here and there, but obviously it's going to be about the package in return. But in a vacuum, Nick, you know, you can keep one, you can keep neither, you can keep both. What what? What route do you take? Yeah, I think uh, you hit it on the head when you said whatever gives you the better package really is going to ultimately decide who you trade and who you feel more comfortable with and you feel is more flexible maybe with your roster. And also, you know, could you potentially give Royce O'Neal an extension? You know, if that's that kind of adds another layer to a layer to it because Dorian Finney-Smith is under contract for a few more seasons where Royce is on an expiring contract that's not even fully guaranteed. So it's an interesting thing with him and how the league views the, views these two guys. I think they view Dorian Finney-Smith higher, especially because he's on that extended contract and just has proven to kind of had more value over the course of his and career. And Brian Lewis reported that he got two firsts were offered at the deadline, to the Nets yeah. at the deadline during the Kyrie Irving sort of saga. And we also had a report that the Nets were pretty close to trading Royce O'Neal to Cleveland at the deadline as well. So, you know, I think that all kind of plays a little bit into it. So I think ultimately the Nets love Royce O'Neal. It seems like they want to keep him around and they'd be more open to trading Dorian Finney-Smith, who, as I mentioned, is under contract in the 25-26, where he has a player option for $15.3 million. So that's pretty attractive and that's a pretty controllable contract. And he's proven to be, you know, an NBA starter. So I think the Nets could garner, you know, at least a good first round pick for him. And then Royce, you know, they could look to keep him, but I also wouldn't be opposed to moving both guys if the right deal pops up because, like we mentioned, they have Mikel, they have Cam Johnson, and maybe they could find another cheap 3 and D option for the bench or add maybe a truer power forward rather than Dorian Finney-Smith. Yeah, look, I'm on the DFS bandwagon of retaining him because of how he would fit on a contending team. And if the Nets over the next two years, Dame, someone else, Mikhail, Cam Johnson, hopefully Nick Claxton... I was going to say, Claxton plays a little bit of role into this, in my opinion, because if you're moving Claxton potentially in another deal or in the Damian Lillard trade, I think retaining Dorian Finney-Smith is more important because of his ability to play small ball five. And we saw him do a lot of that, you know, under Jacques Vaughn. You know, maybe yeah. a little bit too much in, in certain regards. Maybe he had the best small ball five defense against Nicole Jokic this season. It was one and of look, the best stints. Royce wasn't bad either. Like, Royce was pretty good on him too. So I think that while if you can get quality assets in return for both of those guys, you you, you pull the trigger. You know, if you get like a, a young guy and a pick, like... Uh, some obviously Cleveland, it'd be like a Coro and maybe a first or something, but then a Coro. I, I don't even think a... they have any first to offer, so it'd probably be a 
future seconds. That's where I think Cleveland just becomes less enticing for me. Maybe maybe Memphis with yeah. Zaire Williams and 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 like a a protected first or something that could be something intriguing because I, I think Zaire Williams has, has a lot of talent. So I think it's going to be about as we alluded to the packages in return in a vacuum. I'd rather keep DFS because I think he's the better player. Obviously, his three point shooting you know left a, a little bit to be desired, but I also do think he was you know under. Some sort of duress. I think he might have had an injury that he was pushing. Yeah, he had the broken figure that he had healed after the season. So that could have been a big reason. And also just change of scenery. Guys either shoot really well or can end up shooting really poorly. And Royce was, both of those guys were, you know, Katy Perry hot and cold when it came to their three-point shooting streaks. And look, I, I hope that they're there isn't a semblance of nepotism when it comes to the Nets organization because we've seen it with Patty Mills and, you know, obviously I think that that was the, the wrong decision, just like going for your guys. And you alluded to Royce O'Neal being a Nets sort of guy. I think that at the end of the day, you go with what is going to give you the best return, what is going to make the Nets a better team short and long-term. And I think short-term Dorian Finney-Smith makes you a better team, but long-term he probably gets you better assets. So you just got to take all those things into consideration. You know, keeping both of those guys seems unlikely. I think one of them more than, I'm not saying that I have any information on that, but I would be surprised if both of those guys are retained as well as picks 21 and 22. It seems to me that the Nets are going to do some sort of move before the draft. Yeah, and some of it could, too, be looking to get off of salary. And I think that's where Royce becomes a little bit attractive because he's partially guaranteed. So he can be traded as a partially guaranteed uh, guaranteed contract, which could be, you know, interesting in terms of matching contracts and different stuff like that. And also, I think there's also a long-term view of, you know, do we trade both of these guys, potentially gather, you know, two to three first-round picks? And now not only can we trade for Damian Lillard, but now we have enough picks where we could potentially trade for the next superstar to get on the market. And now we're really in, you know, contention for a championship. Yeah, that's it's going to be about, you know, asset acquisition and balancing the short and long term. Because ultimately, if you get Dame, it, it gives you a greater chance of getting superstar number two. But it doesn't guarantee it either. You know, obviously, yeah. Damian Little, Mikael Bridges, and the the lure of Brooklyn and Barclays is 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 a nice sort of you know thing to show to prospective suitors in in free agency and in trade. But you know, nothing is guaranteed in the NBA. We know that, and you were having to the Nick best a- package matters sometimes. It does. Sometimes you just got to have the the most picks, the the most you know, the, the best expiring contracts, all that sort of thing going around to sort of make things work for the opposing team. So, and I, I wanted to sort of touch on what you sort of alluded to with Dorian Finney-Smith and the, a sort of salary dumping move from Mark Stein. He said, stay tuned to see if re-signing Cameron, Cam Johnson leads to a salary dumping move or two from Brooklyn to create additional payroll flexibility. Dorian Finney-Smith, acquired from Dallas in February in the Kyrie Irving trade, remains a prime trade candidate. So, Look, I think Mark Stein reported a few things when it comes to the Brooklyn Nets here and there. I think especially around some of the coaching stuff with Steve Nash. I think it's something to keep an eye on. I, I, I think we sort of know Joe Sy might be not willing to go into the luxury tax given the fact that the Nets aren't going to be a contender unless they do acquire Damian Lillard. So it, there's a lot of moving pieces. And I think a salary dumping move or two is an interesting sort of piece because the salary dumping move that makes a lot of sense would be like, you know, Patty Mills sending them back to San Antonio or something like that to save a bit of money. Joe but Harris. Joe Harris, Spencer Dimity, these sort of guys who are you know, fine, but, you know, they're not going to really give you anything when the, the games do matter. Because, you know, if we're ranking guys I'd rather retain on the Brooklyn Nets, Nick, you know, Joe Harris, Patty Mills, Spencer Dimity, 
I'd rather have DFS and Royce O'Neal. I think that those guys are, are more important to future short-term and semi-long-term success if we go in the next three or four years. If you acquire Damian Lillard, I'd rather have those guys on my roster. And you know, the Ben Simmons of it all is something to sort of think about. But in saying that, yeah, I just think I prioritize those guys overall. Yeah, I think looking, you know, with just a quick touch on the net salary cap, and I'm not a CBA expert or anything like that, but if we're just adding the guys under contract and we just have the cap holds for David Duke Jr. and Cam Johnson and the cap holds for pick 21 and pick 22, the nets would be at $172 million. The luxury tax is $162 million. And that's without Cam Johnson's actual contract, which will be more than his cap hold. His cap hold is only like $17.6 million. So the Nets might want to get under the luxury tax, reset that because they're a repeat offender. So Joe Sy is paying a little bit more than the normal luxury tax. You can look up the math for all that stuff. So it's pretty interesting. And I wouldn't be super surprised if they go the run it back route and they look to dump you know, more than one guy. Cause I think it would take dumping more than one guy. And, you know, Joe Harris would be a good guy to dump because he's got $19.9 million on his contract. But at the same time, you could wait until the deadline so you can keep those expirings because, you know, it doesn't become official to the end of the season. Yeah, they become greater assets as the, the closer to their expiration date. Um, yeah. It's just as simple as that. And they become greater assets. You know, you get a... And it gives a, you a lot of flexibility in trades to have expiring contracts. Like if you're still trying to stay open for a superstar trade, you know, maybe paying a luxury tax is okay because you want to make sure you can maneuver around multiple teams or multi-team trades and everyone can be happy with what they're getting. Yeah, we've said every offseason since we started doing this buzz that Sean Marks is going to have his work cut out for him. But yeah. there are so many moving pieces that it's almost hard to get your head around when it comes to the state of the Brooklyn Nets right now in terms of you know superstar acquisition, expiring contracts, the draft, and just all the assets that that Nets do have available. You know, I, I have some semblance of faith in Sean Marks to, to make the right decisions. I don't think he'll make all of the right decisions because... You know, I don't think he's the the best GM in the league, but I think he's a good enough GM to make the right decisions in certain points here and there. But it'll also be a semblance of pressure from Joe Sy and what his desires are in terms of the direction of this Nets franchise, in terms of you know where the salary is and superstars and just the general direction. I think that those two are going to be working in tandem. It's never just you know a one size sort of fits all thing. But I reckon we get. Do, do you have any more DFS Royce thoughts, Nick? Before we get to Lillard, Beal, and just how Brooklyn fits into all of that. Not really. I think, like we mentioned, Royce could be ended up trading for a late first-round pick. Dorian Finney-Smith maybe could get you a mid-late lottery pick or a package with one of the Nets pick to move up a little bit higher. I think, uh, as you mentioned, that Stein report, there's a lot of teams looking to acquire him for how he can fit in so many different rosters. Definitely. The Nets have the assets, and it's not just draft assets, it's player assets. So the fact that they are in that position after the KD, Kyrie, Saga, James Harden as well is you know, a credit to, to Sean Marks to be able to rebuild this team on the fly. But Nick, we've got the Bradley Beal rumors, and yeah. Bradley Beal apparently could be on his way out of Washington. They have a new GM and possible new direction for their franchise, and there are very, very strong rumors pertaining to the Miami Heat. Now, Damian Lillard has been linked to the Miami Heat as well. Does the the Bradley Beal of this all... Now, there was like a, one minor comment by Chris Haynes about Bradley Beal and the Nets being a part of all of this. I don't know what I read into that about it all, but in, in saying that, what is the Nets' like role in this Bradley Beal 
you know, sort of jew up below what's going on with him and his future. Yeah, I think it can impact the Nets in multiple ways. I'll say this first. I think there's probably a 90% chance Bradley Beal's traded. You know, it seems like they've given him um, the ability to talk to other teams, and he has a no-trade clause, and it's pretty clear Washington wants to go into a rebuild. I think it could benefit the Nets in two ways. One, you know, Miami trades for him. They be they um, are no longer in the Damian Lillard trade hunt. And also, Bradley Beal's probably not going to go for a lot, especially because of the no-trade clause, and that might you know sway opinions a little bit. But if he goes for a very, you know, small offer or limited assets, uh, I think it could benefit the Nets and their trade for Damian Lillard if that's what ends up happening. Because now all of a sudden, you know, Beal just got traded for this on a very similar contract. Obviously, Damian Lillard, a substantially better player, but it would also kind of shift the market in terms of superstar trades, the star trades for not to say Brad Beal's a superstar, but Dame is for, you know, the package that you would receive for a player on a contract like that. Yeah, there's always a semblance of recency bias because last yep. year when it was Rudy Gobert, it's like, oh my God, Rudy Gobert went for this? How are we going to get another superstar? What's Kevin Durant going to go for? And the Nets were able to sort of somewhat benefit off of that because I think that the, the Nets got a pretty good package in return in terms of the four firsts, the, the swaps, and Cam Johnson and Mikael Bridges. That's yep. probably the best deal that was available unless you're throwing Brandon Ingram and Especially and with the way that Mikael Bridges popped off. Exactly. Now, you know, does that mean like if Bradley Beal goes for a lesser package in return and, and there's been some lesser packages out there, you know, Tyler Hero, Kyle Lowry, picks, I don't think that's the best deal in return. But at the end of the day, Bradley Beal can also veto if the trade it doesn't, the trade package for him doesn't satisfy him because he yeah. has just so much control here. And hopefully that is a amount good, of control. <laughs> yeah. And we also heard from Brian Windhorst today that. Yeah, on I believe on his podcast that the Portland are now aggressively or or, or pretty much it was just the complete opposite of of what we heard like four or five days ago about trading that third pick. Now that they're trying to trade it, so it's clear that maybe behind the scenes, Damian Lillard's like, look, Scoot Henderson's probably going to be a really really good player, but what's the point of me sticking around with Scoot Henderson and Shaden Sharp and Anthony Simons? Like, th- there is just yeah. no point to that. So, you know, obviously they've probably made the calls to Brooklyn about. You know, Mikael Bridges, I'm pretty sure that would be evident, but it seems very unlikely given we saw even more social media content from Mikael Bridges today on, on the Nets platform. So I think the Nets are, you know, right in the middle of all of this. And a part of me, you know, you know, one of my best mates who I used to do a podcast with is a big Washington Wizards fan, massive Bradley Beal fan. And I've had interest in Bradley Beal in the past for as a, as a Nets sort of fan as well. I think he's almost gone underrated now just because of the contract. I think he had an incredible season last year. He's scoring and he he's just a wonderful scorer. I wouldn't want him on the Brooklyn Nets because I think that he is in a tier or two, maybe even two and a half below uh, the likes of Damian Lillard, even though he is obviously a little bit younger. So I think that if he were to get too traded to Miami, then the the suitors left for Damian Lillard, according to him, are going to be Brooklyn. And unless the Sixers can do something wild and crazy and Daryl Morey pulls something out of his ass, I think it almost pushes Damian Lillard even stronger to the Nets. So I think as Nets fans, maybe I'm wrong in saying this, we should be hoping for a Bradley Beal trade to Miami and soon, and hopefully that deal isn't an inflated one because it would benefit the Nets maybe intangibly. 
Yeah, I agree. I think we're hoping the trade happens early. I think we're hoping it happens before the draft because it doesn't seem like Portland's going to make a decision on Damian Lillard to draft night or after the draft. So if Miami utilizes the very little assets they do have and they could potentially have up to three first-round picks if they they do some stuff on one of their protections and maybe include Tyler Hero. But at the end of the day, like you said, that's going to help the Nets. And I think uh, the Bradley Beal thing, like you mentioned, Chris Haynes mentioned it on the podcast that the Nets could maybe get involved, but I don't see that being a scenario that makes a lot of sense. And the real thing with Bradley Beal that's concerning is his injury history. You know, he hasn't played over 60 games in five years or four years. So, and, you know, he's just kind of, he's... Say the same thing about Lillard as well, Nick. I think a lot of people have made that point, but I think Lillard But Lillard, it's only been the last two seasons and that was, his abdominal issue was really his first big issue. And I think part of that was him trying to play through it. And some of his limited games is also... The Blazers tanking at the end of shut down. Yeah, the last two seasons. So, and I think again, I think he's a substantially better player. I think Bradley Beal is very hard to gauge because Washington really hasn't done anything in the last couple of years, and you know he hasn't even made an All Star game since 2021. Now, Nick, if the Wizards were to quote unquote blow it up, are there any players that would intrigue you? Because I know the Nets have have done business with the the Wizards before in relation to Spencer Dinwiddie and such. I think that there is. You know, mutual respect or collaboration, whatever you you want to say about it. But what players could the Nets get in return? I know a lot of people are on the Porzingis train, but you, know, you alluded to to injuries and stuff there. That'd be something that would be interesting because it'd be like, man, Porzingis, Porzingis, Dame, Clacks, Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson as a starting five. I, I'd, I'd be frothing a, a little bit, but you know, I think Porzingis is a, a tier below to you know maybe other guys that you could attain, maybe even a Pascal Siakam. But in saying that, outside of Porzingis, maybe Porzingis, Monty Morris, you know, Denny Avdi has been linked to the Nets before. You know, Delon Wright, I think I'm a big fan of as well. You know, what are your thoughts, I guess, on on the Wizards blowing it up and maybe the Nets being beneficiaries of that? Yeah, Porzingis is an interesting name. He's obviously very injury prone. Um, hasn't he played 65 games last year, which is the third highest amount in his career since you know that was the first time he played over 60 games since 2016, 2017. So just a lot of injuries. Obviously, we know his body type typically can play a good chunk of the regular season, but then also gets injured in the postseason. We've seen that happen a couple times with Dallas. I think you really only look at him if. You know, the the deal is cheap and also the extension you could potentially give him is cheap as well. But, you know, back in the day, the Nets were on Porzingis' list of, you know, teams he'd like to be traded to when he was traded from the Knicks. So there's just something to think about. I don't know how he would necessarily fit or what that would be, but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say I completely rule it out, but it would definitely be something that would take a lot more discussion than what we'll talk about today. I think if we're just quickly looking at their salary cap and the roster they have, Monty Morris or DeLon Wright potentially as like a backup point guard if you do acquire Dame and move on from Spencer Dinwiddie, you know, both on pretty reasonable contracts, could fill in a nice, you know, role for this team. Um, Danny, you mentioned, I think they would look to keep him, even though it feels like he's been in the NBA for a while. He's only, I think, 23 years old. So that wouldn't make too much sense for them. If you do move on from Clax, you know, in a potential trade for a star, you know, Gafford could be somebody to look at. He's around that 12 million range. He's been a little bit inconsistent. You know, it felt like he was really catching fire at one point. And then last year just had some really cold moments. So, you know, I would probably just look at the backup point guards really in reality. And that's only if the Nets swing for a star and need to fill that backup role. Yeah, I think DeLon Wright's the, the name that I would be most interested in and most intrigued in. I think we've spoken about him in previous off-seasons as well as yeah, in terms of guys that we've been a, a fan of. Monty Morris, obviously, 
probably a better offensive player, but I think less steady in terms of his reliability when the games start to matter a little bit more. We saw that in Denver. So, look, I think either of those guys would be a fine backup guard. You know, they're not Tyus Jones, but I think that they're pretty high up on the list in terms of guys that you wouldn't mind backing up your your lead superstar sort of point guard. But, Nick, any other general final thoughts about, you know, the Nets and where they do stand in terms of the trade kerfuffle, the draft kerfuffle, and all the kerfuffles that are currently happening within the NBA? I would just say this about the Bradley Beal trade. Um, if it's not Miami and it's Milwaukee, and Milwaukee has to send out different salaries, and Washington's going into a rebuild, and one of those salaries is Bobby Portis or Pat Connaughton or someone along those lines, I wouldn't be surprised if the Nets got involved. You know, is potentially Does Portis a... fit into the Nets TPE, Nick? He does. He does. You know, we brought him up actually – um, what seems like a month and a half ago on the offseason um, preview, you know, as potentially a guy that the Nets could trade for in that, with that trade exception. And I think uh, Milwaukee, it's been mentioned, is going to shake things up a little bit. And I think Portis tweeted something out earlier in the offseason, kind of talking about maybe being the end in, in Milwaukee. And he's on a pretty reasonable contract and he checks some boxes, you know, could rebound the basketball, gives you a, a stretch big threat, and also just his. You know, they his nickname as a rookie was Crazy Eyed Portis, so he provides a different mentality that the Nets don't necessarily have. You know, Jock Vaughn kind of alluded to the Nets getting punked in that series against the Sixers. Not to say Bobby Portis solves all their issues, but he would bring a level of toughness. No, and I think that we speak about a lot and our priority in terms of just getting guys onto this team, just guys that can just do a lot of things and are just basketballers. And Bobby Portis fits that mold a lot. You know, he's developed a great three-point shot as well he can just he can make baskets and i think he's not maybe a three-level scorer but he is a high-level scorer big guy rebounder as you alluded to could play some small ball five give the nets a little bit of flexibility there as well so i think that bobby portis would be a nice little acquisition if the nets were to go down that route but yeah, who knows? By the time we record our, well, by the time we record our next podcast, we're doing one literally straight after this. But the time we record our third podcast, some point next week, it'll be intriguing to see what new rumors there are to discuss. And you're know, heading into the draft, there could be some more things rumbling underneath the surface. But yeah, it's it's a, it's an interesting time for Nets World. It's an interesting time for the NBA in general. Yeah, Jack. I just before we get out of here, any feelings on Damian Lillard hot or cold in the direction it's heading or, or you feel more confident the Nets are going to land him now less confident what are your thoughts on him before we get off this I think just generally speaking and objectively speaking trying to read the tea leaves as a mutual neutral observer and it's hard because we're Nets fans and both of you and I have said that we're sort of on the Damian Lillard bandwagon to sort of acquire him. You know, we're not all in on it and saying it's going to be the thing to solve all the Nets problems and they're going to go to the finals next year. But in saying that, there just seems to be a lot of smoke. And yep. we try to sort of put the smoke and see where the smoke is and if it's fiery, if it's not fiery, who is it reporting these sort of things. When Chris Haynes says some stuff about Damian Lillard, you, you freaking listen because that guy is essentially like Dave McMenamin for LeBron James. He is like the mouthpiece, like directly. And then the Nets sort of saying like their direction and Shaw Marks, all those different things here and there. And, you know, Dame Lillard going to Mikael Bridges' game in the in the playoffs and all these different things here and there. It just seems, I'm not saying it's a guarantee. And this Bradley Beal stuff probably reaffirms it and makes it an even stronger likelihood because of the fact that Shams' report, it's like, hey, the Heat are really interested and you know, the Heat need another star to go and alongside. And Beal's really interested in them. And Beal's interested in going to Miami. So it's just... You try and put the, the jigsaw together, you put the you, you read the tea leaves, all the different analogies you want to put there. And it seems, I don't know, maybe 
75% the, the likelihood that I would say that Damian Lillard could be heading to the Brooklyn Nets. But by the next time we do a pod discussing some rumors and some trade rumblings, the draft is going to just indicate so much. Like yep. in, in the semblance of a, a week or so, it's going to change our perception very strongly. Yeah, and I think the comment you brought up about uh, Wendy earlier about how, you know, the Blazers are actively searching, trying to find a star to, you know, put next to Damian Lillard. And, you know, some of Nets fans on Nets Twitters have kind of alluded to how this is very similar to the Kevin Durant situation. The Nets saying they're not going to trade him. And then that tune quickly changes. They probably try to do it low key and move Dame to somewhere he wants to go because he's been so loyal to the organization. I think things are really trending in a direction Damian Lillard is very likely to be a Brooklyn net, especially if Bradley Beal goes to Miami, which seems very likely. And as we've talked about, the nets can outpackage the heat in a potential deal as well. So trending, trending up, trending up. And like you said, 75% of he's traded. It almost, if Damian Lillard is traded, it feels like there's an 80% chance he goes to the nets. I would say it's probably like 65 to 70% chance they do trade him. I could see Portland trying to hold out and keep him and trying to convince him to stay maybe to the trade deadline and then they move him at that point. But it's going to be interesting, like you said. And every day we're getting a new report every couple hours. This is probably the spiciest time of the year, one of the most enjoyable time of the year because of all the moving pieces and all the different rumors out there. But Jack, always a pleasure. Big thanks, everybody. Listen, check the buzz on all streaming platforms. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.